Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 36 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. And my guest today is a very special guest because, quite frankly, if it wasn't for this man, there would be no Ring of Honor today. He is the former owner of Ring of Honor and the current ROH ambassador, the one, the only, Carrie Silken. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you for that uh, <clears throat> over-the-top kind introduction. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be doing this. Actually, I was like, when is he going to ask? <laughs> when is Kevin going to ask me to do this? But no, the the podcast has been good. I I enjoy listening week to week. Just like, for example, uh, the the previous episode, Rhett Titus, right? Now, here here's a guy who I've known from the minute he came into the Ring of Honor school or was. However, uh, I, I guess he went to the ROH school. Yeah. But anyway, he's been around since 2004. But, uh, and, but listening to him, and there's a lot of things that I never knew and I find very interesting. Even guys like Todd Sinclair, who I've spent a lot of time with. <laughs> so uh, I, I enjoy the podcast, and uh, I'm happy to finally be on. Well, I appreciate the kind words about the podcast. I also enjoy your podcast, uh, Last Stop Penn Station, that you do with Ian Riccoboni. And we'll talk about that later uh, in the show. But, you know, Carrie, I had you in my back pocket as, as a guest. You know, I was just waiting for the right time. And I thought, uh, man, we're near the end of, of the year. We just had final battle. And uh, this would be a perfect time to have you come on. Well, <clears throat> I appreciate it. And uh it's been a strange year to say the least um, for everybody. And just speaking for myself, it's just, everything's been different. Um, as far as Ring of Honor, uh, I'm just glad that, honestly, I'm glad we made it to final battle and happy had a great final battle. And the company, you know, continues to be, uh, continues to be uh, strong, pardon the, uh, you know, the ROH strong, but it's true. <laughs> and uh, I wasn't in attendance uh, just because of the various protocols that, you know, I personally didn't want to deal with. But uh, the show is great. And uh, we're looking forward to next year when uh, things might get uh, a little uh, easier. Absolutely. Final battle, the biggest show of the year, uh, certainly lived up to that billing. Um, well, uh, you know, obviously, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever missed a final battle? No, no. Um, there was, in, I had a, it was a good question. I had a, a, a neck surgery that was a big deal in 2014, but it, it, it was during the middle of the year. And I, I missed, I missed some, I missed some ROH shows. Like, I believe there was like one New York City show that I had to miss. But uh, as far as Final Battle, I, I've never missed a show. Um, 
And it's funny. I, I, I did a little research, Kevin, uh, which I'm, I, I, we, when, I, when I'm on the podcast with Ian, we often joke that we don't do much research and we just let things fly. But I did a little research and I was actually at the first final battle, even though I really wasn't part of the company yet, which was December 28th, 2002 um, at the Murphy Rec Center. Right. But I have been at every final battle except this past one. Wow. So nothing really says it's been a crazy year than uh, Carrie Silken not being at a final battle. That, that perfectly uh, demonstrates right there just what a, what a crazy year this has been. But well, let me ask you just from a personal standpoint, uh, how have you been handling this, uh, this pandemic and quarantining and all that stuff? Um, trying to keep my head on straight, uh, you know, with the, as of March 15th, 16th, there we were, there we were in Las Vegas, uh, ready to do, uh, ready to do the anniversary show. And when everything went down, um, and then coming back, you know, and, and if people don't know this, uh, you know, my primary business was uh, in, the, in the ticket reselling business, which I've been doing for many years. Uh, if it actually, if it wasn't for that, uh, Ring of Honor wouldn't have been funded, but that's another story. But anyway, so that was pulled out from under me and I'm grateful and I'm fortunate that it wasn't a fine, you know, financially I'm okay, but it was an activity thing. You know, I enjoyed, uh, everybody likes to have a purpose. You know, I, what, what this has proven to me, Kevin, is that I, I really can't retire. <laughs> um, you know, I, maybe uh, I should look into, you know, uh, fishing or something and, and, and moving south. But so the ticket business was pulled out from under me, uh, as, well as, as well as the wrestling um, with Ring of Honor. You know, I've been so used to going to the shows, um, you know, depending on geographically where the shows were, or depending on, you know, just, just the time of the year. In other words, I wasn't crazy about going to Pittsburgh in February, but, but you know, I might go to Nashville in May. So, uh, and I used to like going to Las Vegas, but with the ROH, we didn't have any shows until when? August? Right. Yep. Right. And uh, the product, you know, the uh, Sinclair uh, did a good, has done a great job uh, keeping everybody safe. Uh, combined, combined with the, uh, uh, here comes Lamb Chop, combined with the Maryland State Athletic Commission and all the protocols involved uh, and the shows taking place in Baltimore, and it's the right thing to do. Uh, I, I'm really not essential personnel, and I didn't feel like sitting in a hotel room for four days. So uh, it, it's been rough. It, it, it's just been rough. So um, I, I'm just trying to, uh, hopefully we're coming around the bend. Hopefully we're coming around the bend. I, I was just hearing them. They're, they're, they're giving out the first doses of the vaccine today. I don't know if you saw that on the news. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, they're giving out the first dose of the vaccine. They're they're claiming that the the average person, this is all speculation. Maybe you know, uh, April. Uh, I don't want to start talking politics here, but I'll be I'll get the vaccine. A lot of people, you know, if that's another thing. But I want to come back to Ring of Honor. I want I want there to be Ring of Honor shows in front of people. Like, you know, and I'm sure you do too. I want to see pro sports in front of people and I'd like to be part of it. And I like to see, you know, concerts and theater reopen uh, and uh, we just get back to uh, the other side of normalcy. That would be great. I mean, uh, yeah, I haven't been to a Ring of Honor show since February. So I'm having the withdrawal from that. Uh, I'm a Baltimore Ravens season ticket holder, as I think you know. Uh, I never miss a Ravens game. And, of course, this season, haven't been able to go to a Ravens game. Uh, like you, I'm into uh, going to concerts. Haven't been to a concert in I don't know how long. So, yeah, I mean, it would it'd be great to get back to those things. I hope at this time next year when we're talking about Final Battle 2021, I hope this is all in our, in our rearview window. And, and I hope you and I are together at Final Battle and having a conversation face-to-face rather than uh, over, over the uh, internets. Well, so. uh, l- l- I'll, I'll make a deal with you. Uh, uh, or I don't know if it's a deal or an arrangement. Let's hope that a year from now uh, you'll, you, you'll have had 51 other guests and maybe you'll be going into repeat and you could have me back on even if it's for a few minutes so we could look back at final at the period of 2020 as as a uh, a bad memory and and now we're uh, in a happier place that would that would be awesome and yes i'm going to i'm going to write it down in my calendar right now that episode whatever it's going to be uh 88 or 87 at that point is uh is going to be you uh once again talking end of the year and hopefully looking back on a much better 2021 than we've had in uh in 2020 but you know one one thing i'll take issue with uh carrie is that you said that you're not essential and i'll tell you what in the in the uh strict definition the literal definition of that maybe not you're not essential to the tv production end but you certainly are it's it doesn't seem like a ring of honor event certainly not a major pay-per-view the biggest show of the year without you sitting at ringside so in that sense uh you are definitely essential in my well, opinion. That, thank you. And uh, hey, uh, <laughs> Kevin, I, I paid for that privilege. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I paid for that privilege now. And, and I appreciate, you know, uh, I appreciate, uh, I'm glad to still be with the company. You know, of course, uh, you know, as a, a Ring of Honor ambassador, what, what does that mean? I don't know. But it's just nice, and it, 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 and you've been around long enough within the wrestling business, and uh, with Ring of Honor, and, and people will be rolling their eyes when I say this, but uh, ROH really does have, and it always had, uh, you know, that family feel, that you know, uh, win one for the Gipper kind of. No one's going to know that reference, right? Uh, let's have that, uh, let, let's, let's give the best effort possible and, and do the best show possible. And, and that ethic exists to this day. 
No question about it. I've said this on the show before. Um, you know, I, I worked many years ago in WCW for just, just for a year, the last year of the company, actually. Uh, I spent three years uh, with WWE on the creative team before coming to Ring of Honor. And what you said is 100% true. I worked in those big corporate structures, the big corporate promote, you know, one, obviously WWE, privately traded or publicly traded company, uh, WCW owned by AOL, Time Warner back in the day. Uh, and obviously Ring of Honor's parent company is Sinclair Broadcast Group, but still uh, the wrestling company itself does very much have that family feel. And I've never experienced that before, uh, except, you know, maybe on, uh, you know, of, like the Maryland Championship wrestling level where right. an indie, everybody has to, you know, sort of pitch in and, and all that kind of, and there's a, let's, you know, we're all in this together mentality. But for a big, you know, we've got, what, 50 people on the roster. Uh, I'll put our roster talent-wise against any company. Uh, but j just the, the way everyone, you know, I haven't seen the politics backstage or the backstabbing. I mean, I, all I've ever seen is everybody saying, let's put on the very best show. And, and everybody wants everyone else to do well. That's been my experience. And now if something's going on behind closed doors that I haven't seen, but I, I get the sense that what I'm seeing is very, uh, very genuine. And it, it goes to show, it goes to speak to what you said, which is that you've seen this kind of mentality for years in ring of honor. And um, you know, the way that we've taken care of the talent and the staff through this pandemic, uh, it just really goes to show, I think what ring of honor is all about. I'm glad I was able to get out with a company, you know, with Joe Coff and Sinclair, uh, not just to keep the product going, but as it is, as it is, it's evident from, it's almost been 10 years already, Kevin, if you can believe it, uh, since uh, I sold the company. And for, uh, I know Sinclair is a huge company, but uh, they didn't have to pay these guys uh, or, or you know what I, you know where I'm going with this. So right. it's just nice that, uh, you know, I, we, we don't want this to be too uh, peachy, you know, sweet, sweetie pie. Uh, <laughs> but Ring of Honor in general has always tried to do the right thing. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. And, and certainly you would know. I've been around the company for about five years now. Obviously, your roots go way deeper than that. So you can certainly speak to it much better than I can. I can only say what I've seen in the past five years. And, uh, and it really has been... For me, not that I had bad experiences at the other plate, the bigger companies that I was at, but it just, there, there is a palpable difference in uh, like that team first mentality backstage. And uh, because it is a smaller company, obviously the parent company is huge, but the wrestling company is smaller in terms of, you know, staff and things like that. But it really is, let's, we all love the company and, you know, uh, we just want the. We're very proud of it and want it to succeed and take pride in it. So well, let that's me all we're saying about that because we probably are. Uh, people are thinking, oh, this is just the company podcast and they're towing the company line. But what I always say to people is, look, if it wasn't true, we wouldn't. We just wouldn't say anything. We just right. gloss over it. Well, let me ask you about. Uh, I want to get get back to the the current Ring of Honor product. Since we've had the restart, uh, obviously we came back with the Pure Title Tournament. Because we need to be safe and we waited six months to where we could do it safely, we're doing it in an empty arena. Just I want to get what, you know, your thoughts. You've been around for 
you know, even when you didn't own the company, you, you were aware of Ring of Honor. Uh, I know you came in as sort of a, as you've ter termed it, a silent partner before you right. became the owner. So just your thoughts on where we are today, having to deal with the world situation that we're in and, uh, and how Ring of Honor has handled it, not, not from a, just a, a taking care of the, you know, we've talked about this, taking care of, of the staff and the wrestler safety, but just in a actual presentation with the empty arena, bringing back the pure title, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I would be a liar, and I'm not a liar, if I was to say that I enjoy watching professional wrestling in front of no people. Um, but that's but but that's the you know that's the hand that we're dealt. Right. Um, so while Ring of Honor was on its short hiatus before the restart. Um, I was looking at the other products that were out and uh, it just, to have wrestling in front of no crowd or canned noise or a small crowd, it's very difficult. You know, can you imagine a comedian going out on stage in front of nobody? <laughs> and even, even though it would be cool to see uh, if, regardless of who your favorite band, if it's Bruce Springsteen or, or whomever, Lady Gaga or this one or that one, yeah, to see them in like a rehearsal setting uh, would be cool. But to see, you know, Lady Gaga or Bruce Springsteen or you two or whoever in a full arena with the reaction, uh, that's what you want. So, but we had to deal with that. And I really think that the guys behind the scenes at Ring of Honor uh, did a great job. Um, I was, I'm always interested in production. You know, going back to my days, getting involved, uh, we wanted to make things into a show. And uh, between, the between the production and the packaging, and it was really smart, it, looking back, uh, Monday morning quarterback, but to use the, use the pure tournament to reboot everything, uh, compared to what, was, what has been going on with other companies, and you have, to, you have to watch what's going on with other companies. I mean, how can you not? So it was, it was a different feel and it was a, it, it, different, but it was good. It had a serious sports-based, uh, UFC-ish, boxing-ish, just, just the whole package. And for having to do it in front of no people, which is not ideal at all, it, it looked good and it played really well. And I remember when the pure title, the pure tournament was uh, over, speaking to some of the people behind the scenes, and I, I never really, uh, Kevin, during my time, uh, I would let the uh, guys behind the scenes do their thing because that's what they do. I might make a suggestion here and there as to a guy I liked or whatever, 
but uh, I spoke to some people behind the scenes that when the pure tournament's over, why don't you go with this same formula? To, and you know what I'm talking, maybe you could verbalize better than me, the formula of just uh, competitive sports and just the packaging and the telling the stories of who these guys are and why and why are that you know why are they facing off? And I, I think we achieved that. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And and I think you take a look. I'll use a guy like LSG. LSG is a talent. You know, I was a fan of his. I was a fan of Coast to Coast, but. LSG wasn't getting mic time and you and I both know in this business and look, there's only so much time and there's only, you know, there is, you know, like we got 40, 50 people on the roster. And so that's, you know, some people are going to get the mic time and some people aren't LSG wasn't really getting that. He got some, but he never really got a chance to tell his, his real story. I mean, he was, you know, he cut a promo before a match or whatever, but it, it was, it was typical wrestling promo uh, to have LSG in a sit down situation where he can tell his true story and you can uh, accompany that with photos of a young LSG at an ROH show meeting Jay Lethal in a meet and greet. I mean, and he's facing Jay Lethal now in a pure rules match. On paper, I tell you we're going to get Jay Lethal and LSG. Okay, not okay. Well, yeah, you know, I guess this is just an easy win for Jay. And uh, what is this? This is an enhancement match. And okay, we're on to the next thing. But once you have those sit down interviews and you see what it means to LSG and then you have Lethal talking about it and acknowledging LSG and saying that he asked for the match specifically because he wants to see what this kid has. All of a sudden, I'm anxious to see that match. And then the match goes out and delivers. And now all of a sudden, people care about LSG. Whereas before that match and that sit down interview, they may have been. Eh, indifferent. You know, I'm not saying they wouldn't care, but it may be indifferent. Now they have a reason to care. Now you could put LSG in a four-way match on the pay-per-view with the winner getting a shot at the title. So that's where I think these things have really, really helped. Just the way you said, they set up the matches, they make them mean something. And, you know, uh, another great example, I thought, I mean, I could name all of them, but another one was Shane Taylor and Kenny King when they talked about their history together. And some of it we know if we've been following Ring of Honor. We know on screen they were in the rebellion together. But we didn't know really behind the scenes the personal relationship there. And they get to express that. And all of a sudden, again, a match that looks cold, what we would call a cold match. Right. Kenny King and Shane Taylor. Okay, you know, two good, two, two good competitors. That'll be a hell of a match. Uh, but I, what's at stake? And then you hear what's at stake for both men. And I do think that the presentation really works, not just for those reasons, but for what you alluded to, which is no one else is really doing that. And that's what you want to do in this business is differentiate yourself in some way. Some people go the more over-the-top entertainment. Some people go, uh, you know, there are people that like death matches in this, in this industry or comedy matches. Or whatever it is. And I, I, you know, whatever is your cup of tea, I'm not going to criticize any of it because, hey, if it gets over, then it's, then it's successful and it works. Who am I to say? Uh, but we, were do, we got a chance to do something that wasn't really being done. And, and that's great. You can do something that's never been done, but then you need to do it well. And I really give credit to, uh, you know, everybody behind the scenes, the creative people, the production people that 
not only are they doing something different, they are doing it well. Let me throw out two other examples of uh, where this, the, the packaging and this background bios uh, info enhanced and, and had me saying like, oh, geez, I never knew that. Brody King. Right. Uh, when, you know, I'm on the watch party, you know, we, we have a watch party every Monday night uh, where you could interact with the stars of Ring of Honor on Twitter and you could watch, if you haven't watched the show uh, on TV over the weekend, uh, it's available on the ROH Wrestling website. Uh, hopefully I'm correct, that is at no cost, correct? Yes, and that's, I believe, at 7 p.m. every Monday, and uh, you can use the hashtag WatchROH to participate. Correct. So uh, a couple of weeks, three weeks ago, whatever it was, four weeks ago, Brody King, um, and I've hung out with Brody King. Are we, are we buddy, buddy? Like I'm sort of buddy, buddy with Jay Lethal. Not really, but I've spent a little time with him, but I didn't know that he had, you know, he didn't uh, get into pro wrestling till he was 27. I didn't know about his, his, uh, his music career, uh, as, as a metal, as a metal uh, musician, a guy, but there was, there was a picture of him doing the classic stage dive. Imagine right. that. But <laughs> the point is, is, you know, it, it, it was interesting. And I was like, geez, I never, how did we never talk about that? He knows I'm a rock and roll guy. And then another, we could go down the list of everybody, but another one is uh, Brian Johnson, right? <laughs> now, what a great heel. Uh, I just don't like him. Right. <laughs> and, and, and you know how, and, and, well, you know, you know this, but what I was going to say, you know how difficult that is to achieve? That's like the ultimate goal. And uh, just his, you know, being, uh, uh, get, I'm trying not to get us edited out here, being a knucklehead. Right. And, uh, yeah, so, so many great examples. And, uh, you know, he had a great match with Danhausen. Another, another interesting cat. But uh, the point is, is that uh, this is what has differentiated the Ring of Honor product from the other products that are on. Well, we got much more to talk about, Gary. I've got to take a break here, so let's do that. Let's go to our first break, and uh, i got a lot more I want to talk to you about okay. right after this. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for week by week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is the ROH ambassador and the former owner of the company, Barry Silken. Carrie, I want to go back to the uh, to the days when you were owning the company and I know you've probably told a lot of these stories over the years on various interviews or podcasts, but we can't assume everyone listening today has heard them before. So 
if you'd be so kind, I want to I want to get your philosophy of once you became the sole owner, your philosophy of moving the company forward from taping live events and selling them as DVDs. That was really the lifeblood of the company when you came into it to how you wanted to move forward through various other platforms and where you wanted to take the company and what you did to uh, what your vision was and how you furthered that vision. Well, some of the things happened organic. A lot of, a few of the things happened organically. Um, people forget and I even forget sometimes about the, our involvement with uh, our original, now this is pre-internet pay-per-view. We were doing, uh, we were doing these uh, in-demand, you probably can help me here. What were the services, this is 06, 07. That uh, would, would, there was pay-per-view on your cable box. That doesn't mean it was a live pay-per-view. Right. I remember. I don't know the specific character. I do remember what you were doing. Yeah. One of the, the Dish Network was involved. And uh, we worked with a guy named Ken Gelman. And th this is another crazy fact. Like, I don't know how many of them we did. We maybe did uh, six or seven of them over the over the course of time and uh the first the the first few of them now we're talking over uh they were when they were coming out they were like already a month old kevin right but people um we were able to get like between 10 and fifteen thousand buys you know this is 2006 7 8 um did it add up to a lot of money? Not really, but uh, it wasn't bad. And um, I don't know if I'm answering your question correctly here. You are, you are. Uh, we, uh, you know, plus our involve. I'm going backwards here. Our, our involvement with the, uh, with the Japanese wrestling companies, particularly pro wrestling Noah. Right. Um, we had dealings with New Japan, uh, I believe, you know, uh, a guest appearance by uh, Jushin Liger, but uh, Pro Wrestling Noah, they approached us, which was, which was incredible. Um, they wanted to have a presence in the United States. And I'll never forget when uh, uh, Rue, who's no longer with us, who was the boss of Pro Wrestling Noah and the translator, Ken, uh, came to one of our shows in uh, Edison, New Jersey. And they, you know, we were, this is like 05. And uh, our presence was being felt. And they, they, uh, they felt if their talent was wrestling in the United States, it may, on a regular basis, it, uh, it, it, was, it was good for them as well as us. So that relationship just, just sort of happened. And uh, also at the same time, even though they didn't get along, uh, the relationship with Dragon Gate, which wasn't as strong, and we only uh, used them a few times, but um, these things sort of happened organically. You know, then the taped pay-per-views came along. The DVD business was okay. 
um, during this time, 2006, 7, 8. Um, yet, during the whole time, I just was not, not only was I not making money, I was losing money. And so the question would be, why would you keep going with this? Well, the answer is, number one, I knew we had a really good product. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. And I also wasn't stupid that we're not going to be competing with Vince McMahon, but I knew we had a good product. And then, of course, uh, there's ego involved and not wanting to let go. But things were moving in the right direction. We're working with the Japanese companies. They're, they're bringing us over to Tokyo. I mean, we can't sell tickets on our own in Tokyo. We get to do that. Um, then the, then the uh, you know, the, the, the pay-per-views with uh, Ken Gelman. Then, then all of a sudden, the wrestler movie comes along in, two th in early 2008. You know, we get approached by these people and we're like, I, I was like at first, uh, Darren Aronofsky, you know, but then I, then I realized that um, I'm not going to be able to remember the name of the movie. What was that movie? Uh, he had one popular movie out that hopefully you're going to save me here. <laughs> um, be I'm, that as it may. I'm going to look him up. Yeah. Uh, IMDb it, as we're speaking. Go ahead. Look him up. It was a, it was a, a he had a couple movies out, but one of them was a really gritty uh, was it drug. What the hell was it? Okay. I'm looking at his notable work. Requiem for a Dream. That's it. Okay. That's it. Um, so when we got approached by those guys, and uh, that, you know, it was like sort of a pipe dream, but it, it was cool. And then get, then eventually, you know, getting to do the movie and, and Ring of Honor being the last 10 minutes of the movie. And, and the movie... Uh, Mickey Rourke getting nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, amazing. And here's another thing. Um, just before the movie came out, like there was a month till its release, I don't know where this connection came through, but someone knew Springsteen. And the, as the credits rolled, there, Springsteen did a song called The Wrestler. Right. And that was thrown in. And I'm like, geez, this, this this is you know this people are going to notice it. This might be a hit movie, and even though Mickey Rourke was nominated, uh, it wasn't a huge hit. It didn't uh, turn the dial, but it kept us moving. It kept us moving along. Then we didn't come to them; they came to us. Um, Andrew Simon, who uh, worked with Mark Cuban with HDNet and uh, we were approached by them, which was, which I thought this is, uh, Kevin, I thought this is finally gonna do it. We're gonna be on national TV and we were, but the problem was <laughs> little, and I am everly grateful for these guys. They, they, would, they would help subsidize the tapings they were great people to work with, um, but here's the thing. They were only in like 
of the households around the country. And I had no, we had no idea of that. You know, we really, sometimes I, I look back and say, boy, I, you know, I, I still would have done it with them. But at, do you remember the old HDNet? I absolutely do. It was it wasn't on cable systems. It was only available on DirecTV yep. and maybe a couple of cable systems, but you know it it, it gave us a I don't know it gave us a weekly TV show, and everything was moving. You know, so these things sort of happened. There was just a synergy to these things happened, as opposed to me being such a. Uh, a business genius to, uh, you know, the, the product, the product triggered all this stuff. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely does. I mean, ROH, you know, we talk about filling a niche uh, today with the presentation and stuff. It's certainly ROH, as everyone knows, who's, who's, who's uh, been a longtime fan, was doing wrestling like it wasn't being done in any other companies. And really filled a void for, you know, lapsed fans or disenfranchised fans. And so, yeah, the product uh, spoke for itself. And basically what you're saying is the product itself is what opened up these avenues to sort of uh, grow and to, even if it was by small steps, to increase the, the footprint, so to speak. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Let me ask you, though, you mentioned Mickey Rourke in that movie, Obviously, Mickey Rourke ended up doing something with WWE uh, at WrestleMania, I guess, after the, the film came out. Was there ever any discussion or thought to have Mickey Rourke make an appearance with Ring of Honor uh, because Ring of Honor was a presence in the movie? No. Um, my, our dealings with Mickey Rourke, my de he, was, he was a very nice man, but uh, he didn't express any interest in being involved in wrestling, I don't even I don't even know if it came up. I mean, we only did we did two days of tapings uh, in Dover, New Jersey. At the, they 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 wanted to they wanted to it had to be in New Jersey. They wanted a certain look. They found this theater. Anyway, to answer your question, uh, Mickey Rourke, although he physically was in good shape, uh, he had no. Uh, interest in pro wrestling or and and you know you know who would fill the void for that we got our own mickey rourke jerry lynn that's right <laughs> and, and that, basically that, did the wrestler storyline with jerry lynn ultimately right. the world right. heavyweight championship and, and and you know um or maybe i i think you know do you do you know who was intended for that role and they brought him to the hammerstein but they couldn't afford him I do not. I do not know this story. Oh, it's one of the best stories that we, it, it, we had. It might have been Final Battle 2007, and we're at the Hammerstein, the Manhattan Center, and we had been in touch with, uh, you know, everything was in the works. So Evan, this guy Evan Ginsberg, uh, who was a conduit to the wrestling world with Arnotsky and his people, says, "Hey." Is it okay if we come? They wanted to bring the uh, some of the uh, like the the, the 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 people that are involved, like uh, in costumes, and just you know they wanted like to be able to look around. 
and go into the hallowed dressing room. Is that okay? Like five or six people, assistants, they're crucial to the production. And by the way, uh, I we're, we're going to please keep this quiet. This is all being told us, but uh, we're going to be bringing uh, who we believe is going to be the lead actor. And we're like, yeah, sure. Uh, who is that? And they're like, Nicholas Cage. Okay. I, you know what? Now that you, I did hear you told this story yeah, so, on your, uh, on right, the podcast. So, yeah. Nicholas yeah. Cage came and, uh, Turned out that the budget for Nicolas Cage was more than the budget for the whole movie. So, uh, and, and I think Mickey Rourke was a much better fit. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm going way off base here. But everything, everything, uh, oh, then, oh, then we got involved with the, uh, the fabulous, <laughs> the fabulous uh, internet pay-per-views. Right. In the early days, they, they were so difficult uh, to get through them. Um, you weren't with the company when we were using a company called Go Fight Live. No. Oh, my goodness. And that's when uh, Jim was still around, Jim Cornette. And, and I love Jim. But if things don't go, go, don't go well, you know how he can get a little excited. A little bit. <laughs> but uh, we, we, we had some successful uh, internet pay-per-views. But, uh, you know, so the, here, here's the end of my story with Ring of Honor uh, as, as owner. It's like we did everything possible, everything possible. And as 2009 and 10 was rolling, even then, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, streaming was coming in and DVDs were going out. Yes. Writing was on the wall. So if you could have the right, uh, if, if the money could have been allocated towards streaming, I'll never forget, real quick, I've mentioned Ken Gelman a few times, the guy that got us this, these, in, these early pay-per-views. He took us to meet a guy in New York City. This is like 2006. And I was, it was me and Sid who used to work with the company and this gentleman in New York. And he was, uh, Ken was, see if this guy's had any ideas. Um, I can't really remember his exact position, but he was, as my Jewish grandmother would say, he was a big macher in the, uh, <laughs> production world. And he said to us that you guys are doing this thing backwards. We're like, well, what do you mean? Well, Ken Gelman's uh, pay-per-view thing is good, but you don't have TV. Well, we didn't, you know, what are we going to do? We don't have TV. But here's the thing that I remember most about the meeting. Within the time we were in this meeting, and once again, it was late 2005, let's say, he explained to us that, you know what, in a few years, everybody's going to be watching everything on their phones. And I remember leaving that office in New York City and talking on the way back. And oh, this guy's crazy. I'm like, you know, he was explaining to us that whether it's movies, uh, video clips, it's all going to be on the telephone, even a wristwatch. 
And I was like, it didn't make sense to me, Kevin, but boy, was he right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it's I, really interesting how things have evolved. So yeah. I, I, I tried to keep, you know, I should have listened to the man, but whatever. We, I, I did the best I could. Yeah, I remember back, I had people telling me the same things. And, uh, you know, back when I, I worked for the Baltimore Sun, I worked in the newspaper business for many, many years. And, um, you know, gradually I saw the writing on the wall there to, to the point where everything was going to be online. And, you know, who's going to read the newspaper anymore? You're not, and I, I, I just couldn't fathom it because obviously that's what we all grew up with was, was getting that newspaper and, you know, opening it up and looking at the sports section and having that actual physical newspaper in your hand. And I was told by, you know, people who knew like, nah, this, the way it's going is that thing's going to be, that's going away. And, and I mean, nowadays I don't ever see anyone anywhere reading a newspaper. Everything obviously is being read. You can you can get the Baltimore Sun or the Washington Post or any newspaper. You can get it all online now. Some papers have gone so far as to just be online only, and that is probably where we're ultimately headed. I think right now you can still get a print edition. Uh, I guess for the for the dinosaurs who uh, won't don't want to move into the you know to the new modern age, they're still out there. But eventually they're going to be gone. But uh, yeah, I had some people telling me that too about you know everybody's going to be watching things on their phone. I couldn't fathom it. I mean, no, I remember when I, I used to do a wrestling radio show, and people would tell me that radio's dying, and eventually it's going to be you know what be you know serious and and all these different types of things. And and uh, I it's like all of this was on you know we're old, Carrie. I mean, we're just we we don't uh, we're resistant to change, I guess naturally. So we hear these things, and we're like, ah, well. You're crazy. Right. They're, always gonna, they're always going to buy newspapers. They're always going to buy, ah, there's going to be, always, people like to hold them. They, right. they, they, they like magazines. And yep. as far as uh, what, the, what the guy was telling me regarding, uh, I just, it was like, nobody wants to watch a damn movie or a sporting event on their phone. Right. How do you do that? You know, but anyway. <laughs> Well, let me, let's get to uh, the point where you, you mentioned that not only was Ring of Honor not making money for you, it was losing money, but you kept the company alive, even though it didn't make personal financial sense to you, just because, as you said, several reasons, maybe one was ego, you don't want to let it go, but I think it was mainly rooted in, you loved professional wrestling, you loved the company, you knew it was a good product, so you kept it going, even when you know, your financial analyst was probably saying you should let it go. Uh, but then, then Sinclair Broadcasting uh, comes around. And I know the story is there are a couple players involved here. Jim Cornette's working with Ring of Honor. Jim Cornette knew, of course, Gary Juster, longtime pro wrestling promoter at WCW, the NWA. Uh, he even, we even went back all the way to the AWA. But Jim knows Gary. Gary knows Joe Coff from Sinclair Broadcast Group. And you were brought together. There's a meeting here through all these, you know, six degrees of separation. You and Joe Koff have a meeting and it results in the company being sold to SBG, Sinclair Broadcast Group. So, Well, it, it, it certainly wasn't one meeting, that's for sure. Right, right. A meeting in, in the larger sense, but yes, multiple meetings. Well, let me just get your perspective on that. Was it bittersweet? to have to give up ownership? Was it, 
uh, a relief in the sense that it would no longer be a financial drain on you? Um, were you satisfied that you were going to see the company continue or was it all of those things? I think, I think it was all those things. Um, I was grateful to, uh, stop bleeding. You know, I was like a bleeding man, uh, a man you would see on the street. Uh, you know, I needed to have uh, a tourniquet put on me. <laughs> so uh, to get out of financial peril, was great to keep the it was it was a perfect storm you know it sounds all this sounds like such a bunch of baloney but it was the perfect storm we we i'm able to sell the company thought i would get more money that's <laughs> <laughs> all right and uh but also keep the product alive and joe was Joe and I hit it off. Um, we, you know, we're, we're relatively in the same age. He's a couple years older than me. Um, but, you know, he's a New York guy and an old wrestling fan. And uh, we hit it off so that um, he, he wanted to keep things going and he wanted to, he wanted to keep me around. You know, because it wasn't like we're buying the company from uh, a good old Carrie Silken. You know, it was Ring of Honor at that point over those years. It was like, how can I describe it, Kevin? Everybody felt like it was their own. If you were a fan, it was their own. You know, it was their own little. You know, they were part of Ring of Honor too. Right, very much like the old ECW was. Same kind of vibe. Right. Um, so. It was good to be able to get out, and yet Joe knew you got to keep Carrie around uh, if you want it to be, and I did want to be, um, and that would be uh, so. It, it was the, it was the best of both worlds. Um, it was hard, I'll tell you. Um, I don't know if this is appropriate. We don't want to, you know. It is appropriate. It was a, it was a, it, it took over a, like a year and a quarter to get the deal done. You would have thought they were buying, uh, you would have thought Sinclair, and I'm not knocking Sinclair, I'm grateful for them, but you would have thought they were buying this, you know, massive entity. You know, they did everything, you know, what do they call that? The due diligence? Due diligence, yes. Man, did they, man, did they do stuff. <laughs> Man, they did some diligence. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, when is this going to happen? Um, but you, 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 you've been around the corporate world more than I have. So uh, that, I guess that's the way, that's the, things don't just fly uh, quickly, huh? Yeah, nothing's fast. Nothing is fast. Yeah, so, yeah, so... It, it was it was the perfect storm. So here we are. That was two thousand. That was May or June of two thousand eleven, and here we are, ten years later, nine years, whatever the hell it is, nine years later, and Ring of Honor. Hey, just think if we make it to uh, what's the 
am I doing my math right? When what was the last anniversary? If we make it to 02, we can have a 20th anniversary show. Exactly. Yeah, 2022 would be the 20th anniversary. Is that right? Yes. Boy, if we're not at a show with live people at by then, I think we'll both be. Uh, I don't know what we'll be doing, but uh, that would be nice. Yes, for sure. Uh, we talked a little bit there about Jim Cornette sort of being a key figure in this. You were the one that brought, I mean, Cor you brought Cornette into the company, correct? That was, that was your idea, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, we were doing shoot interview kind of things back in with ROH and, uh, uh, we reached out to Jim and it's a really good, you know, and he was there as a talent uh, behind the scenes. We're talking 04, 05, 06. And he had a lot, he had quite a few appearances during that period of time. Um, I don't know. Did you, have you ever seen the shoot interviews he did? Like he would conduct, it wasn't a shoot interview of, someone talking to him, we had that, but it was Jim interviewing other people. Yes, so Jim, I've seen several of those. I know he did right. one with Bruno. And, How about uh, the Bill Watts ones? Those are great. Yes. Yeah, those are very good. And, and Bob, you know, Bobby Heenan yep. uh, and uh, Percy Pringle, Paul Bearer. Uh, really, you know, if you're, if you're an old school fan, like you and I are, you know, not enough people know about Bill Watts or, uh, but anyway, we brought Jim in there and, uh, I, I kept in touch with him enough that when Brian Danielson and Nigel McGuinness were simultaneously leaving Ring of Honor in September of 2009, uh, which was like, you know, in 2005-06, we lost Samoa Joe and CM Punk within a, uh, a few months of each other. Uh, and the, attri the, the attrition rate you know, we would lose Spanky, we lose low-key, Christopher Daniels goes to, uh, to TNA. The attrition rate, it was just built in. But in 2009, to lose Nigel and Brian on the same night, it was just that they were leaving. So uh, fortunately, uh, I got, Jim had been working with uh, TNA and he had a falling out. And uh, it had been about a month, and I got hold of him, and uh, along with Adam Pierce, who was uh, behind the scenes at the time, and then we got a hold of New York's own Ring of Honor uh, former champ, world champion Homicide, who hadn't been working for a while, and um, we brought them back the same night. But Jim's always been. So that, that put the Band-Aid, a little bit of a Band-Aid on losing Brian and Nigel. But, uh, and then when the HDNet came along, Jim was integral. You know, Jim, Jim, uh, Jim, Jim knew how to do TV. 
And uh, Adam Pierce would tell you that he, you know, he really didn't. So Jim, Jim was steady with us uh, during that period. And as you said, you know, he knew Gary Juster, uh, who knew Joe Coff. And uh, so it, I guess if it, if, if it wasn't for Coronet, this whole thing wouldn't have happened. I had a couple of half-baked offers along the way. I never speak about it much, but we'll give the we'll give the uh, we'll give the listeners of of the of ROH Strong Kevin, hosted by Kevin Eck a little exclusive. And I never even spoke about this, even on Last Stop Penn Station. A couple oddballs. I was contacted one time by Jerry Jarrett. Really, I've never heard. Yeah, you've never spoken about this. It was though. like it, it, it was it was. I did. I did not speak to him personally, but it's through. You know, I'm I'm good friends with uh, uh, Luke Williams, Bushwhacker Luke. Sure. And Jerry Jarrett uh, was interested. You know, he was originally. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But wasn't he an original TNA owner, partial yes. owner? Yes. Right, and there was falling out. Blah blah blah. So he was looking to get. This is like 2007. But it was just like a sniff, and then, uh, then, you you know, it, it's weird how society has changed, because I get a text message. <laughs> I get a text message in like 2010, and I don't think he would be upset at me because it, 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 he's not going to be upset anyway. CM Punk text me out of nowhere and uh like what would you want to sell ring of honor now <laughs> i even though i'm not you know i i've hustled tickets on the street and i've i've had a uh, somewhat successful legitimate business i don't think text messaging is the way to approach uh sales of companies right. you know, maybe the te first text message might be I'd like to talk to you about something. Right. Anyway, so, um, but those were my only two real, and they weren't real. They were just like, those are the only two rinky dink offers I ever had uh, until the, um, you know, Jim slash Gary leading to Joe. You, you know, I, 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 Kevin, I knew I had value with the library, even in 2010. Uh, let alone now, right. now that we, we have a hell of a library, which is a good reason to join uh, Honor Club. Absolutely. Which you can go to uh, ROHwrestling.com and uh, you can see the, on there how to, uh, how to sign up. $9.99 a month. What a deal. Well, it is. You know, we, we have, uh, you know, so I was thinking back in 2010, oh, geez, I got this. I got this footage. You know, Punk was becoming a big deal in WWE and uh, Samoa Joe and TNA and all these other guys that had come through, and uh, we had all those guys from the from the very you know from the very early period. Um, whether it was you know the the Japanese talent, whether uh, in Austin Aries, a Steve Carino, a Homicide. You know the whole catalog 
of, of the, the Ring of Honor guys that stayed, but I had something there. Um, and that, now look what we have. But uh, anyway, I went off track there, but Jim, Jim's been an integral, was always, in, I, 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 I hold this claim, Kevin, I think I'm one of the only promoters in the history of pro, of pro wrestling that Jim never had a major blowout with. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I think off the top of my head that that would be an accurate statement. So, yeah, but uh, the deal got done and here we are. Well, I, I can't let this go without, uh, without rewinding a second here about the CM Punk thing. Did you ever, okay, he texted you, <laughs> like you said, not, not the greatest way to, to inquire about uh, uh, such a, a purchase. Uh, did you ever have a conversation with him? No, no. Um, I, I answered him. It was, uh, he, I never had a conversation with him. Never. You know, I, I, I thought, you know, I like CM Punk uh, and I have spoken to him over recent years. Uh, I'm not, I'm not uh buddy buddy with him, but we have spoken and, uh, but no, he, uh, in 2010, his business, uh, his business tactics weren't the best or else it was just a, uh, a fleeting thought by a friend of his, let's say. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned guys leaving Nigel McGinnis and Daniel Bryan, I'm sorry, Brian Danielson leaving in the same night. And CM Punk, Samoa Joe, I mean, we can name all the people that have come through um, and left. Seth Rollins, a.k.a. Tyler Black, Kevin Owens, Kevin mm -hmm. Steen, uh, all those guys. You know, at one point when I was in WWE, CM Punk and Brian Danielson were the two world champions, which I thought was, was pretty cool to see where those guys had, you know, to, to be these great wrestlers and respected for their craft, but thought to not be guys who could do it on the huge entertainment stage, not the pro wrestling stage, which we knew they were great, but they could do it for this huge entertainment company that was, that was used to, you know, over the top, larger than life characters. Um, what a testament to not only those guys and their talent, but to ring of honor. So let me ask you this, when you saw those guys leaving um, the company, of course, continues to replenish somebody leaves not that you don't miss them not they're not great talents but there's a pipeline and there's more talent but when you see those guys leave and go to the quote-unquote big stage of wwe is that almost like a sense of pride for you that they were guys that, that came up in in your company yeah yeah absolutely you know i i, I couldn't have been there was no point to be bitter there was you know and and I, I understood uh, naturally anybody, whether you're a carpenter or you're in entertainment or whatever profession you're in, you're going to want to try to uh, achieve, uh, you know, uh, making the most money and being as successful as possible. Guys were talking during my whole tenure. Guys that were, you know, when we started signing guys to contracts in around 2006, I remember a guy like Roderick Strong 
coming up to me. I mean, he went, he wound up staying in Ring of Honor for years, but someone like him coming up to me uh, under contract and say, "Hey, Carrie, uh, I I I got I can get a tryout in WWE. They want me to come down. Um, it's not going to interfere in any of our shows." It's going to be on a Monday night or whatever. And I would always let guys go. Um, maybe I wasn't the sm Maybe it wasn't. It, it never turned around to bite me. Maybe it did in, in the long run, but it wasn't like an immediate thing. So I gave the guys the opportunities to go. Uh, I was hoping they, they weren't going to you know, get snapped up, but they were under contract. But yeah, I, it's, it, 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 there is great pride. And there's not often, but a few times where I've gone to uh, WWE events. Matter of fact, right before the pandemic last year, in early March, there was a, a house show near where I live. I live in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. So at the... Uh, they built a nice new arena in downtown Allentown, which they have a, a whatever they call triple A hockey. Is that what they call it? Sure. Minor league hockey. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, and it's, it's a nice venue. They get great concerts uh, come through there. I saw Bonnie Raitt and James Taylor and this and Alice Cooper and this one. Now, anyway, WWE would run there maybe every six months. So the last time they ran, it was on a, how did this go? Oh yeah. It was on a Saturday night. There was no ROH show. This was like, might've been a week before the Vegas thing. So there was no ROH show. And the next day was a pay-per-view in Philly. So where I'm going with this, Kevin, is that pretty much the entire Raw and entire SmackDown crews were all in Allentown. It was like a stacked, it really was, it was a stacked house show. But for me, I got in touch with uh, Adam Pierce, who wasn't working the show, but another old Ring of Honor uh, alumnus was in charge. It was Sanjay Dutt. So I know Sanjay, and uh, anyway, I got to go say hello to everyone. And when I mean everyone, it was everyone. I mean, uh, Brian, uh, Brian was there, uh, Tyler, uh, Tyler was there. I hadn't st seen Steen, uh, Kevin Owens, of course, and, and uh, Generico, Sami Zayn. I hadn't seen them since they had left. Uh, my good friend Claudio Cesaro was there and I, I'm, I'm leaving out, uh, I'm leaving some guys off, but, and then, then a number of months before that NXT ran at my local, uh, at the Sands, which is a casino, but they have shows there too. NXT ran and it was only a few months before that. And, you know, there I get to see uh, Roderick Strong, my good buddy Adam Cole, uh, guys like Kushida, Bobby Fish, uh, 
what was his name in Ring of Honor? Uh, Punisher Mart Martinez? Yeah, Punishment Martinez. Boy, he was a good get, huh? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it, it's nice. You know, it's just nice to, you know, to get to see everyone. And uh, I'm, pr yeah, I'm, pr I'm happy for these guys. I remember Kevin, I mean, all of them. I remember Kevin Steen in particular. You know, he's got... Uh, he's got uh, a couple of kids and one of his kids has some health issues and he's doing okay, but it was very challenging and just struggling with money and, and to see these guys doing well. And, uh, and I'm not even talking about, you know, you understand, I'm not even talking about the wrestling. Right. I'm just talking about them, seeing them do well. Uh, it's nice. And then, and then there's the times where guys go to these other companies and they come back like Mike Bennett. Right. And there's a laundry list of names that I just can't rattle off the top of my head. All right. I, well, Jay Lethal, you know, he was, he left in 2005. He did what he did. Um, we've had a uh, cabana, uh, you know, uh, do his WWE thing years ago, come back to Ring of Honor, Bob, you know, it's the nature of the business. And I'm sure there's some people that are in these other companies that will, you know, migrate their way over and vice versa. As you know, it's the nature of the beast. Yeah, it's transient. I mean, it's always been that way back, even back in the territory days with guys moving from one territory to the next to stay fresh. Of course, you had your your standards, your stalwarts, and, and, and uh, obviously you had Bruno and the old WWF and, and uh, you know, Harley Race and certain guys in the NWA and, you know, Vern and Nick Bockwinkle in the AWA and so forth. You had these local heroes. I've J Jerry Lawler in Memphis. Uh, but, yeah, uh, most of the people in the business moved around from territory to territory. The now, different system now with, the, with obviously, with the, the companies. Um, but, yeah, you know, everybody's got different goals. Um, you know, some people that grew up as WWE fans and this, like, that's, they've always wanted to be there. Um, you know, I, I understand why they want to go there. And certainly if there's a money issue and they feel like they need to take care of their families and, you know, I, from what I had always heard, the people that I had talked to, um, it was never a matter of uh, preferring someone over Ring of Honor. It was always a business decision. And that in some instances, their hearts were in Ring of Honor, but they had to do what they thought was best for their careers at the time, for their families at the time. And certainly, yeah, you don't begrudge anyone that. And I think it's cool that you would let people go on tryouts and, and things like that. Why wouldn't you? And you know that it's always next man up, like they say in the NFL. And if someone leaves, okay, there we have more talent and we're developing talent. And you believe in the product overall, that it's bigger than any one person even if that person is someone great like a CM Punk or Brian Danielson or Samoa Joe, the company will go on and will replenish. I think where we are now in 2020, the business has changed to the point where it isn't everyone's dream necessarily to work for WWE. And there are reasons that people want to work in ROH. Uh, financially, I think we're more competitive with contracts. Uh, I don't know if we're getting too much into the weeds here or, or speaking out of turn, but, and, you know, the schedule I know has a lot to, to do with it, that it's an easier schedule. And 
less travel, less, you know, more time with your family, less uh, wear and tear on your body. And I think what we're seeing now is there's not necessarily this mass exodus of, well, we get someone, they're going to be here for a little while, and then they're leaving. I think people are staying and, and we're getting some certain talents that have opportunities to go other places and they're choosing Ring of Honor. So I think that, you know, speaks volumes for obviously the product, the company, what we're doing here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think all those people who felt like they needed to go to uh, a bigger stage, uh, you know, and, and that was something they felt like they needed to do. Hey, I mean, yeah, it's pretty cool to wrestle in front of 80,000 people in a stadium. You know, God bless Brian Danielson and CM Punk for getting those opportunities coming from the Murphy Rec Center, you know, but, you know, I think, like I said, it, we're in a different place today where, as you know, we're not seeing, uh, okay, well, we know we have a top star, but he's on borrowed time and just a matter of time till he leaves. Yeah, it, it's, it's just such, you know, compared to uh, what you and I grew up on um, and, and the nature of the business, the, the, the kids will never understand the, and I've heard you with Gary Juster. I, I, I love, I, Gary told me that you're, you're, the series, it, it was sort of a series. I was hoping it was going to continue. Um, you know, the, the, the kids got to learn history. But these stories, I'm going to get to my point in a second. If these stories aren't passed down, they're just going to die. Right. Um, and it's, that, that's why, like, you talking with Gary, uh, and Gary dispensing, you know, he has such a deep uh, history and knowledge. But where I was going with this was the kids today, they'll never understand the excitement of putting on TV, your weekly TV show that had been recorded three weeks before that, but you didn't know that. And having Vince McMahon or, who, or whomever the announcer say, Appearing for the first time this week on All-Star Wrestling yep. or returning to All-Star Wrestling, let alone, and I'm, Kevin, you, you were a faithful uh, attendee of the Baltimore shows. Yes. How about the greatest moment of the night when they would announce next month's <laughs> yeah. Right? That was, that was the awesome thing. They would announce next month's card and put the tickets on sale that night. Right. And, and, but, and, and, you know, just, it, it seems so silly, but you'd hear, you know, in the opening match, you know, Frankie Williams. Right. <laughs> you know, a little murmur, but yeah. So, uh, and, and guys going from territory to territory. And I mean, we're talking ancient history here. I don't even know why I'm bringing it up, but uh, it, it, was just, it, it was special. But you know what? I know why I'm bringing it up because between WWE, AEW, uh, Impact, and these other companies around the world, obviously the Japanese companies, there are going to be opportunities uh, for guys to come in. I mean, look, look what we went through only a little over two years ago when, uh, you know, with, uh, with the Bucks and Cody and the, these guys leaving and 
you know, Ring of Honor coming out of it with, you know, a, a, a fresh new roster. Nobody wants to lose uh, guys like that, but uh, you have to overcome it. Um, and we did. Right. And that opened up spots for, like we said, uh, you know, here's PCO, here's Brody King, here's Roosh. Tracy uh, Williams, the guy Tracy came out Williams, of left field. Mark Haskins. Right. Absolutely. And that, and that's what it will be. You know, there will probably come a time again, certain guys want to move on or it's time, whatever it is. And, and there'll be more, more stars. I mean, that's, that's the nature of the business and really the nature of any business or any sport is there's always going to be turnover. And, uh, and, and, you know, the, like the, the pipeline of talent is there and we're developing our own talent with the ROH dojo. So, but yeah, I think it's great. Like I, I don't want any, you know, there's always this competition between companies or you have to be a fan of this company, but hate that company. And look, whatever is your cup of tea is your cup of tea. That's fine. But I've never understood wanting one company to survive and the other company to go out of business or not do well. I mean, to me, the more companies that are thriving or at least doing well enough to stay in business, the more jobs for people within the industry that's a good thing. You know, it gives people uh, a way to make a living doing what they love to do. It gives them in some instances choices to where they want to go. They could go to the highest bidder if they're talented enough. Like that's a good thing. And that's not a bad thing. It is a good thing. And it's, it, it, it's really going to be interesting when uh, this pandemic uh, quarantine lifestyle is over because it's going to change a lot of things. Um, I believe, I don't want to, as you just, as we said a few minutes ago, uh, we don't want to speak out of turn, but I believe Ring of Honor will be going back to doing live shows, uh, uh, you know, under the proper protocols with people. Uh, but WWE and AEW, like, what are they going to go back to doing these? How, like, I just just before I was describing a house show in Allentown, is is that going to be happening anymore? It's going to be an interesting period of time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it definitely it will be. Yeah, it would be interesting to see how it all shakes down. What professional wrestling post pandemic looks like as far as live events and production and everything else. Uh, we'll have to take a wait and see on that. But I got to take another break here, Carrie. Let's take one more break. Actually, we'll, we're probably going to take two more breaks, but let's take another one right now. And, uh, man, we, we're just getting started here, actually. We got plenty more to talk about. Okay. Experience the show that's thrilling critics and fans. ROH-TV. The reviews are in. It's completely different than anything in pro wrestling. I enjoyed every minute of this show. ROH TV delivers. Valiant Saint Raves. Take my money. This was awesome. Join the ROH stars for the hashtag watch ROH watch party every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My fabulous guest today is Carrie Silken, former ROH owner, current ROH ambassador. Uh, fascinating conversation, Carrie, as I knew it would be. I want to. We, we've touched here a little bit in the last segment on our fandom and being old school fans. 
let me ask you, when did you first become a fan? At what age did you <laughs> discover professional wrestling? And don't worry about, hey, everybody knows you and I are both older guys, so we don't have to worry about giving out our ages. I don't care. <laughs> um, I'm happy I'm still here. I was told, I had a conversation with, uh, I can't remember who it was, but I was, this exact question came up. And, I've, and, 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 and I'm going to have you answer it too. I've almost pinpointed the date. Well, at least I got the month and the year. I believe my cousin, Mike G., who's a longtime writer and he's helping me with my memoirs, blah, blah, blah. That's another story. But Mike G. was four years older than me. So he was a big influence in my life on rock and on music. And he was a big brother kind of uh, uh, figure. Anyway, he turned me on to pro wrestling. I believe it was January of 66 because I was 10 years old and the big push at the time was, it was Bruno against the, the main event coming up that was being advertised. I lived in New Jersey. So at the time, there was wrestling was two hours from the wrestling capital of the world, Washington, DC. And it was on channel five, which is New York Fox, Saturday nights at nine o'clock. You imagine that two hours of wrestling Saturday nights at nine o'clock. And uh, I instantly fell in love with it. And I, I was quickly scouring the town for uh, wrestling magazines uh, when I, at the age of 10 years old. Do you, do you remember your first, do you, can you pinpoint your, uh, well, sort of. Okay. I, I became a fan when I was six years old. Wow. Yeah, this was 1973. I was six. I still to this day don't know how I found it on TV because my parents were not wrestling fans. My mother would tolerate it once I became a fan. My father hated it. Okay. How it arrived on our TV set, I don't know. But when it came on, I know that I immediately became mesmerized by it and fell in love with it. And then in the old days with the WWF, you would have, you know, it was all squash matches. And it was a format of two squash matches. Then you'd have the interview segment, which would oh, yeah. be promoting the local card. And then you'd have three more squash matches. So they went to the local interview segment with Vince McMahon Jr. and his mustard yellow uh, – <laughs> Uh, blazer and said coming up to WWF returns to Baltimore the Worldwide Wrestling Federation returns to Baltimore Saturday night December 26th and that was the day after Christmas obviously 1973 and I was like whoa wait a minute like you can go see this stuff like you can see it live it's not just on TV so I begged and pleaded with my parents please take me to this show which they did. God bless them. They did. Uh, I know the main event was Andre the Giant against Stan Stasiak. So wait a minute. You went to Wrestling Live when you were like seven? I was six. That's amazing. Yeah. My parents took me six years old. And there's a little bit more to that story. And I won't bore people with this. They're it's here good. to hear you, not me. But um, 
I always liked the heels, even at six years old. I loved Stan the Man Stasiak. I, I don't know why other than I thought he had really cool sideburns. You know, he kind of had those muscles. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and I thought the heart punch was – I mean, think about it. Like, that to me was devastating. Like, you punch the guy right in the heart, you know, and knock him out. I was, this is great. So, he's going up against Andre the Giant. And I'm convinced at six years old, nobody can beat Stan the Man Stasiak. So, I know he's taking down Andre. So, we go to the show – and back in those days, there were no uh, barricades or railings at ringside. It was, there Correct. was a ring, and then there was, I don't know, 10 feet, and then there was the front row. And somehow, we, we weren't in the front row, but we had gotten floor seats. And what you would have is, every time there would be a match, you could go up to the ring and try to get autographs. And so the baby face comes out and it started in the preliminary matches, you know, like you, here comes SD Jones and Johnny rods and whoever, and all the people the Baltimore civic center for this. Yeah. The Baltimore civic center. And you okay. know, all the, all the fans flock over to the baby face holding up their autograph pads and pens and the heel stands there by himself in the other corner. Well, in my naive state, you know, Stan, the man's my favorite guy. And I'm six years old. My mother, again, God bless her. Here comes Andre the Giant. There's this swarm of people just coming over. To, you know, this is the main event. Andre, the biggest star in the, in the, one of the biggest stars in the wrestling world at this point. Everyone wants a piece of Andre, wants Andre's autograph. My mother and I go over to Stan's corner. And we are begging, holding up my little notepad and my pen, please Stan, please, please sign. And Stan's doing what a good heel would do. He's ignoring us completely. And then the referee comes over and says to us, you know, you might not want to be too close to this. You know, he's a real bad guy. And, and man, you don't, you don't want to get too close to him. You don't know what he might do. And we're not deterred. We're still begging Stan to please sign. So the referee says something to Stan. I guess asking him, you know, could you just do this favor for this poor six-year-old boy and his mother? And Stan actually came over and signed the autograph. Completely broke character uh, by doing that because heels never did that. That's a fantastic story. And, and um, I, think he, I think he was able to do it unnoticed because everybody's eyes were on Andre. You know what I mean? So yeah, he kind of did it under the radar. And, uh, yeah, I ended up with Stan Stasiak's autograph. Well – now you're going to force me to uh, tell you about my first show okay. live. So if I started watching wrestling, and I'm estimating January of 66, I was hearing the ads. And yes, they were, as you back then with the two-hour format, they would have the announcer. This guy was gone by the time you got, but you, you'll know the name, Ray Morgan. Absolutely, sure. So Ray Morgan would, would do uh, the garden uh, interviews. But, and you're going to remember this clearly, during every match, there was a gap of audio where they would put in, so like where I was, let's say where I was living, uh, there, the, the first match starts, and you know they're they're wrestling, and then all of a sudden, uh, the Ray Morgan stops talking, and there's like a 45 second. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, at the White Plains County Center yes. on Wednesday night, or 
Another the next match. Ooh, the cool ocean breezes of Asbury Park Convention Hall. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's March, <laughs> and they would have the little ads. So I would hear the ads, and the, you know, the, so I was I was in you know the New York market, and my dad, like your dad, he couldn't. He, my father liked real sports. Same he was a, he loved he was a, a Yankee fan he was a, a you know he was a New York fan mainly his favorite sports were uh baseball and basketball because he was a good basketball player he didn't like wrestling but you know he he put up with it so and my parents are old Newark you know they come from you know they they come from Newark you know from from the third twenties, thirties, you know, everyone lived in Newark. Uh, anyway, I'll never forget. My dad comes. My he, my father's a bartender, and I see him. My he comes home, or I see him in the morning, and I'm like, my my ten year olds are, hey dad, wrestling's coming to the Newark Armory. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was bad thirty years ago. <laughs> Yeah, they, he went on to tell me. He went on to tell me. Yeah, you know, my father was was a character. He was funny, and uh, the when I asked him about the Newark Armory, I remember. I, I got to tell the story. I remember I was at his sister's house. We were, we were his sister. They had two sisters. They were the polar opposites of each other. One was very demure. One was very uh, fun and bawdy, and she, my Aunt Betty. So I, we were, I, for some reason, Aunt Betty was around when I was asking him about going to Newark Armory, and my father says it was bad, and Aunt Betty goes, oh, Jesus, she goes, Philly, he goes, didn't, 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 her, her husband's name was Nat, didn't you and Nat used to go there for boxing years ago? And my father goes, yeah. And, and, and Betty says, yeah, Nat told me that if they got upset at a decision, people would throw plates of spaghetti off the, bal <laughs> off the balcony. <laughs> my father's like, yeah. Now, why would there be spaghetti? <laughs> right. Even rather the 40s. <laughs> but that, so that was an added reason not to go to the Newark Armory, despite that it might not be in the greatest area and the building was uh, had fallen into disarray, there was the possibility of flying spaghetti coming back in. <laughs> but I had an Uncle Henry, and Uncle Henry <laughs> was on the fringe, fringe end of the entertainment business. Um, and make a long story short, he knew Willie Gilsenberg. Now, most of our listeners are not going to know who Willie Gilsenberg was, so maybe you'd like to tell them. Well, I know Willie Gilsenberg was uh, one of the main people behind the scenes in the right. old like WWE. Yeah, along with yeah Phil Zacco and then right. others. Right. So Willie Gilsenberg was an old Newark... Uh, you know, my parents were Jewish, and, and it, you know, it was like an old Newark Jewish guy. And all, there was an, so when, so I hear this ad, ooh, 
on, on New Year's Day, right? New Year's Day, wrestling is coming on a, a matinee to Sunnyside Gardens, promoter Manny Hecklin. And I see my Uncle Henry. It's, it's like they're advertising it like a month out. I go, hey, Uncle Henry, do you think Willie Gilsenberg knows Manny Hecklin? <laughs> and, and so Henry gets hold of, Henry gets us tickets. My father agreed to schlep out to Queens, to Sunnyside for this matinee card. And uh, it was your classic, uh, Kevin. It couldn't have been more classic. The opening match, Arnold Skolan against Johnny Roz. The golden boy against the unpredictable one. Right. And what a great opening match. You know, Baron Skluner was on the show. Crazy Luke Graham, uh, Spiros Arion, Miguel Perez. But, yeah, that was my first live wrestling, thanks to Uncle Henry hooking us up with Manny Hecklin and my dad taking me. But, um, these, you know, as, as you understand, and all of our fans, everyone, who, everyone who's a wrestling fan, a Ring of Honor fan or not, they know it's like, you know, discovering wrestling is like a, a golden moment. Absolutely. I mean, again, I, I, I discovered it at six and was hooked ever since and have been so lucky and fortunate to get to actually work in the industry that I love, which as you know, you got to own a wrestling company. So you've done me one better. You know, it, 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 the, the, my whole story is just, I tell people, I should remember this more often when I'm, uh, when I'm down and I'm like, ah, oh, this, this, you know, life isn't the greatest now, but it's like my whole story is like beyond hitting. It was like almost hitting the Powerball yeah. because I didn't have the greatest. I had far from the greatest lifestyle with uh, substance abuse and uh, for m many years on and off. And then, you know, being a wrestling fan, going to getting to go to the garden, going to, when I was old enough, going to the garden almost every month. Then with the then go moving on to the ticket business and hustling tickets on the streets. You know, Madison Square Garden was the main base, and bringing the whole thing around to cleaning up my act and blah blah blah. And then having on April 6, thousand nineteen, we are at Madison Square Garden. I get to stand in the ring. It's it's a it, it's a dream come true, uh, and the numerical odds of this happening are like a, a a big lottery win. So I'm I'm a, I'm a grateful man uh, to be able to uh, have lived this. And that's when the uh, movie about your life is made. That is the climax scene right there. Is the Madison Square Garden show? Absolutely. That's that's the that's the that's the uh, end scene. That's really cool that you were going at such a young age because I I didn't start going. They had a blue law in New York that you had to be 14 years old to attend boxing and wrestling. Now, right, I, just, I heard about that. I heard that. I don't. Sorry to interrupt you, but I knew about that. You had to be 14. They also didn't allow masked wrestlers. And for a while, they didn't allow women's wrestling, right? And not only that, they didn't have gimmick matches like uh, cage matches or chain matches. 
Now, this was only, now I had mentioned I went to Sunnyside Gardens uh, in 67, so you'd be like, well, wait a minute. There's a blue water. It was only enforced at like the garden. Um, they didn't enforce it in these smaller buildings. But I knew, you know, now I'm 14. I had understood, you know, being a sports fan, I was a big, I was a big Rangers fan going back to the six team, the six team league, the, that golden era. <laughs> and, uh, and I knew the relevance of Madison Square Garden. And damn it, I wanted to go to see uh, one of these cards at the garden. And my dad, being the good uh, father that he was, despite like your dad, knowing that this is a, a, a bag of you know what, Right. We went, my first show was for my birthday, uh, November of 71. Uh, and it was Pedro Morales who had gotten the belt uh, against, and I loved the heels. I loved the heels, maybe not as a little kid, as a 10 year old, but didn't take too many, maybe as a 12 year old, I love the heels. And they brought in Freddie Blassie. And they brought in Freddie Blassie. He was probably 51, 52. And they had him on TV. And you remember this. When did you ever see blood on television? Right. You never saw it. And if they ever did have it, if they did an angle where a baby face got busted open, where I grew up in the WWF territory, they put a huge red X over the screen. That's what I was going to say. So, so uh, Blassie, um, you know, they would tape three weeks of wrestling. I knew that much. Um, and uh, Blassie uh, bloodied up his opponents, and they put the X up. This was this was like, you know, uh, fat. So anyway, I went to see the Morales Blassie match. My dad took me. And then uh, my cousin Mike, who, as I mentioned, was a few years older than me, he was a fan, and now he, he had attained his driving license. So now we were able to go pretty much every month. So it's funny, even though I was, I was much older than you, uh, I was going from 73-ish straight through. Um, into the into the Billy Graham run and into the Backlund run, um, my my interest waned a little uh, with Backlund, but I always kept my finger on the pulse of wrestling. Whether it was just watching TV, maybe I wouldn't go every month to the Garden, but if there was something worth going to, I would go and. Uh, I, you know, you were as you got older. I'm sure you went through this where you, it was uncool to be a wrestling fan. Oh, for sure. And you had to find the right kids that might or friends to go with. I mean, I don't know if you if you did you continue um, going live as a teenager and beyond. I did. I did. I went from. 
the smoky arena era to, you know, the rock and wrestling era. I was, I, I kept going and, you know, it was great doing these shows with Gary because Gary, of course, then in the mid eighties started bringing the NWA Georgia championship wrestling to Baltimore. That must've been heaven. Oh my God. It blew my mind because, you know, you talked about earlier, you would, you would see these guys from different territories in the magazines and it was always a big deal when they came to the territory. Wow. There's Jimmy Snuka. I've been seeing him in these magazine pages for years. Here he is. Here's Greg Valentine, whoever, uh, Ray Stevens. Right. It's amazing to see these guys. But, you know, here's, here's a whole different form of wrestling, different style, guys you had never seen. Oh, well, I, you know, guys you started to see on TV once you got cable TV. And, you know, I became a fan of Georgia wrestling as soon as it came on cable. Here they are. Here's, here's Gordon Soley's wrestling coming to my backyard and we had the best of both worlds because WWF and the NWA were doing monthly shows or coming regularly. So now instead of going once a month, I'm going twice a month. Well, and it was great because it wasn't like uh, people in Baltimore really chose a side either. And like, it wasn't like one side was killing the other. They were both drawing. So it was, it was a lot of fun. That yeah that that that's an amazing era, <clears throat> but check this out. So, I'm mentioning going to the garden in '71. Well, right around the same time, I, you know, I was a diehard magazine fan. I got every damn magazine there was. You know, there was Wrestling Review. There was these are the early ones. Sure. Ring Wrestling, uh, Inside Wrestling, The Wrestler. Um, but anyway, on UHF TV, it was like a miracle. I noticed in the TV listings in approximately sometime in 1970, so I'd been watching wrestling five years. I see on one of the Spanish channels, it says Lucha Libre. <laughs> and I certainly understood that that meant wrestling in Spanish. And it was Wednesday night at seven o'clock and it was listed for two hours. I'm like, oh my God, what could this be? Well, it was the Spanish International Network presenting two hours of wrestling from the Olympic Auditorium in Spanish. So that was, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Then the other, uh, UHF outlet that did show WWF, um, WWWF put on, there was an agreement, they put on championship wrestling from Florida. Kevin, we're talking 71, seven, late 70. And when we would go to the garden in those years, 73, four, five, Vince McMahon Sr. would bring in uh, he'd bring in Andy Graham, he'd bring in the Funks, he'd bring in Gordman and Goliath from LA, wow. he'd bring in John Tolis from LA. And if you were a, a, a diehard fan, and he never had him in like you know main events, right? They were just part of the card. So, although I didn't get the full treatment like you did with these great NWA shows. I, you know, Vince McMahon Sr. would have 
various, various magazine and television superstars come in. And uh, Vern Gagne, uh, all the names, Ric Flair, uh, so on and so forth. But yeah, what a special era. No question about it. And yeah, I was definitely jealous. I knew the garden was special, not just because of the title changes, but for what you just said, you would get those guys, Ricky Steamboat, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I know the Von Erichs, or at least Kevin Von Erich had a match. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just amazing to see those guys. They would, Harley Race came yes. in and wrestled. He wrestled Backlund with both titles on the line at the garden. So yeah, that was, that was very cool. And I always knew that, uh, that New York was, was where things happened. Well, what year uh, did NWA Live come to Baltimore? Uh, the first show was in February of 84. Okay. And the second show, April of 84, the first one, it was a Georgia championship wrestling show with all the Georgia stars. So the main event was Tommy Rich under a hood because he was doing the old Midnight Rider gimmick. You know, he lost a, a, had to leave, loser leaves town uh, against Ted DiBiase. But the next time, which they came back two months later, and Gary brought in Ric Flair to defend the world's heavyweight title against Jack Briscoe. And this is 1984, and I'm a 17-year-old kid, almost 17, and this is happening in Baltimore. I mean, just blew my mind. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, at that same time, there was a pro wrestling USA show, you know what I'm talking about? When the AWA and NWA got together? Correct. Yeah. And they ran at the Meadowlands, but it just didn't, I, on paper, the cards looked like the greatest thing of, uh, the greatest thing, you know, the Road Warriors and this one, and that, everybody. But they just, we went and it was okay, but it, I know that those Baltimore and Philly early uh, NWA cards were special. This Absolutely. conglomeration didn't work like it was supposed to. No, and, you know, uh, Gary and I talked about that on the uh, Old School and Session podcast, too, that it just, you can't, you know, basically they were going to get together and take on this juggernaut that was this, this burgeoning juggernaut that was the WWF. So they were going to band together. And, of course, Vern and, uh, you know, it was Jim Crockett. And I, I, there might have, I think Memphis might have even been involved. It was a bunch of promotions. And they all had a lot of talent. And especially if you put all their talent together, there was more talent than what you would see in the WWF at that time. But as tends to happen in the wrestling business, uh, egos got in the way. Right, there was infighting. Infighting and doomed from the start that promoters could work together. Gary told me that Jim Crockett and Vern Gagne didn't get along. So that was basically the end of that. <laughs> so probably, you know naive on anyone's part to think that those promoters could actually work together long term, even though it was in their best interests to do so. But I got to ask you, uh, get off the wrestling topic just for a second. Uh, these stories that you tell about wrestling are fascinating. And I've said before, when you started your podcast, that you've got great stories, but you're also a great storyteller. So it's one thing to have these great experiences, but you tell them in such a great way. I want to bring up one particular story. And again, uh, Last Stop Penn Station is still ongoing, correct? Yes, it is. And when is a new episode? What does it drop? Every Friday? Uh, every Friday, 10 a.m. 
on all podcast platforms. All podcast platforms. And you also have a website. We have the last last stop penstation.com web, website and uh we we really enjoyed doing it and we'll we'll be we'll be taping uh a fresh episode or two tomorrow awesome and yeah i, I would highly recommend it to anybody not just the great wrestling stories but uh you've certainly led an interesting life <laughs> living in the french quarter and and uh, hustling tickets in new york city and and all the various uh, characters that you met along the way. Uh, but one story in particular, you've gotten some publicity not all that long ago. Oh boy. Which, and uh, I hope this is suitable for the ROH Strong podcast because I mean, you've been open about, uh, and you mentioned it on this, on this interview today that there was a time you were involved in the drug scene. And yes. uh, as a lot of people were in, in that time in the seventies, um, you don't do that anymore. You, you know, turned your life around and cleaned up your act, as you've said. But there was a time you were into this scene and you got some uh, press recently. I think it was, was it the New York Post? Well, right. Yeah, that you uh, sold, was it that you sold some Coke or passed some Coke along to John Belushi? Well, uh, yes, there was like just uh, the right place at the right time. And the funny thing was, um, I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't know who Bellucci, I knew who Bellucci was, but I really hadn't seen Saturday Night Live that often. Um, why, why you might ask? Um, Cause I was the right age, but I had a, a four year career and you could hear the stories on Last Stop Penn Station, but I had a four year career working with these club bands uh, no major acts, but bands that, you know, were, were, were basically copy bands, but there was a really good club band scene back in Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, and I'm sure in Maryland too. We're talking the late 70s, early 80s. Why? Because the drinking age in most, in most of these uh, states was 18 at the time, and there was very relaxed... I'm not. I'm not in, uh, approving or advising the, uh, of, of this, but there just wasn't as much fear of drunken driving and all this. You're old enough to remember. Yeah, it was a know, different time. It was a different. It was a time. different time. Anyway, but yeah, um, yeah. I I met Bellucci and uh, I had some cocaine, and uh, my once again uh, my friend recognized him and uh we, we had uh, this interaction with him that was uh, very interesting he took us down to rockefeller center we were 22 years old he, he had to go get the money and um he said to us that they're writing saturday night live right now and i'm like it's 11 at night he goes well what do you and, and kevin it was the, it was the the night i met him was the night literally he came back from making Animal House. And, wow. And so that character, that Bluto, whatever, you know, kind of uh, just that character, uh, not the nicest guy in the world, he was still in character, but I believe that was his character. And uh, he was living the gimmick, as we say. Living the gimmick. And uh, 
he, he brought us down. He goes, what? So I go, they're writing Saturday Night Live? It's 11 at night. He goes, what do you think? <laughs> they, these guys get in there for, for nine in the morning, nine to five. <laughs> right? and, and he takes us down. Uh, we're in a cab. We were at a club. And he takes us down to Rockefeller Center. And they, he signs us in. And uh, we go up to, I don't remember, it was, I, it, I have this number in my head, the 17th floor. And it was busy. And um, yeah, it was, so what happened is, what happened was there was a recent documentary. Have you seen it? It's on Showtime about John Bellucci. I'm familiar with it, but I have not watched it. I, yeah, so I, I had no idea it was coming. So the gentleman, uh, Michael Kaplan, New York Post writer, he was assigned to do a preview slash he got an advanced copy of it. And the week, I think it previewed like in the middle of November, the, the week of, of the preview, he was scouring the internet, looking for others. You know, it's one thing to watch a show and then review it, but he wanted to have a little more juice, some other stories about Bellucci. And that's when he came across the last stop Penn station podcast. And, uh, which, you know, he was not a fan of wrestling or me or, and, uh, he was just, he was a fan of Google. And uh, he got hold he he got hold of uh, actually he got hold of Ian Riccoboni, and um, we uh, you know we we I uh, relayed uh, the story of uh, my interaction with uh, with, with John Bellucci and uh, it, it you know watching that it's it's sort of sad because he tried to clean up his act but. Uh, he was, you know, he was just, uh, he was, he was far gone, but I'll tell you what talent, what talent I, you know, looking back at, at the, it's sort of like looking back at, at, at the doors or even the Beatles. It was a short body of work, but what a body of work in a short period of time, you know, with, with Bellucci and all the Saturday Night Live stuff. And the, obviously the Blues Brothers and Animal House and these other films, a really talented guy. And he died in 82. You know, it was like, I, I met him in 78. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it was it's very interesting documentary. And it's, it's also sad. Well, I'll tell you, you have led an incredible life. I mean, we've just touched on a little bit of it here. And again, I recommend uh, Last Stop Penn Station. Uh, they're just, you have hundreds of, of great stories uh, of these colorful characters and, uh, you know, it's really the sex, drugs and rock and roll and uh, brushes with fame. And um, man, I could sit and listen to your stories all day and I could talk wrestling with you all day. But unfortunately, I don't know that, uh, man, we could do a five hour podcast, but I, I think we might wear people out. Well, I know, I know we're going long here, but I just, I, I got to throw this out. Uh, because you're a man that can, uh, who understands this. It's, um, I'm, I, Kevin, I'm worried as I, as I, uh, 
uh, the older I get, and uh, I, I've been on borrowed time for a lot of years with, with the lifestyle I led. But anyway, <clears throat> I'm worried that these characters that you've met in your life and you've worked with, and you're a bit of a character also, <laughs> as well as as well as me, and that they're going to become extinct due to due to due to social media, due to people not interacting. Yeah, you know uh, how do how does anyone be how oh you know like remember old Uncle Louie? What a character he was, right? Yep. Well, how's that going to happen? if people don't interact with each other and talk to each other, but that's a social problem that's, uh, we could talk for hours about, but I just, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Oh, a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, look, I have, uh, I have two kids, two daughters, one's 11, one's 15. And, uh, believe me, I know the, um, what a different world it is when, uh, their faces are in their phones almost nonstop until I have to, you know, put a stop to it and say, go do something, go run around outside or something for a little while. But uh, everything is, is, you know, based around that phone as we talked about earlier. So yeah, it's a uh, social media and technology on the one hand, while they're great, uh, there is also a negative side. You know, they, they talk about these road, you know, uh, these, these road stories with these wrestlers, and the stories that you can tell, you have time, listen, uh, you have plenty of stories involving people. I have plenty of stories. And it's because people interacted. So right. thus, there would be stories. If, if guys, you know, we'll talk wrestling, if guys just come to a show and stare at their phone <laughs> or leave the show, I, I've, I've seen guys in restaurants uh, in recent years, 16 guys at a table and no one's talking. <laughs> yep, absolutely. It's very disheartening. But uh, so that's why all these stories need to be told. And I, I appreciate you having me on here to do that. Oh, it was, it was ab absolutely my pleasure, Carrie. I've enjoyed our conversations that we have in private. And uh, I certainly enjoyed today. But we're not done yet. We're gonna okay. take we're gonna take one final break, and then when we come back, are you up for playing a round of ten questions? I'm sort of I'm sort of nervous about this, but I'll do it. <laughs> okay, just shoot from the hip, Gary. That's all you got. That's all you got to do. Okay. All right, we'll be right back. Devastating wildfires rage across the West Coast, burning and destroying homes and businesses. Salvation Army volunteers are there providing food, water, and supplies for first responders and families forced out of their homes. You can help. ROH has joined the Salvation Army to activate the ROH and Sinclair Cares Western Wildfire Relief Fund. Donations will help families recover and rebuild. Go to SinclairCares.com to donate. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is the former ROH owner, current ROH ambassador, great storyteller, one hell of a guy. As Gene Okerlund would say, my close, longtime personal friend, Carrie Silken. But now it's time to play 10 questions. You ready, Carrie? Yeah.
And it is now time for 10 Questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. And this is weird asking you because you've done so much in your life, but what's something that's on your bucket list? Ooh. Is there anything left on your bucket list? There's got to be something left. Um... What's left on my bucket list? Doing coke with John Belushi at Rock of That's that's off the list. <laughs> uh, we're gonna go back to that one. Let me think about that one. Okay. All right. Well, question number two then. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Um, I well, I like to. <laughs> Subject I'd like to know more about. Um, I'm a big baseball fan, and uh, I've been recently, due to the pandemic, I've been doing something that I don't do very much, Kevin, and that's reading. <laughs> and I've been really fascinated by uh, some. I, I I just like the. Uh, history of baseball and the Negro Leagues and just uh, behind the scenes stuff. And I've just really, really been enjoying, I've I've been on a tear. I went from uh, Ball Four by Jim Bouton, remember that? Absolutely, great book, groundbreaking. Right, Uh, I reread that to um, Bronx Zoo, Sparky Lyle, being a Yankee fan. And it led me to another book, which was no one, no one's going to know this book, but it was about the 73, 74 Texas Rangers and how bad they were. Um, It's called Seasons in Hell. And then all of a sudden uh, I morphed over to Buck O'Neill, great uh, Negro League, you know, from the um, Kansas City Monarchs. So I've been delving into baseball history and, uh, I've really been enjoying that. Here's another one I'll throw your way. There's a there's a great book I recommend called Stars and Strikes, and it's all about the 1976 baseball season. It was the year of the bicentennial, and it was just a, a it's a pretty cool year for baseball. I, I highly recommend that one. Stars and Strikes. Yeah, I, I like I like these ones. Uh, Ian Riccoboni has one for me, which I got the name written down somewhere. But it's just, it's like something you wouldn't think is is interesting, but it is because it's so oddball. It's about the early Montreal Expos, wow. and just 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 about what was going on. It's just like that seasons in hell one. Who gives a damn about the '73 Texas Rangers? But they were so bad. Uh, statistically, they weren't as bad as the 20 and 120 62 Mets. Right. But it's just just funny. But uh, let's move on. All right. Question number three. What's something popular today that you don't see the appeal of? And I guess we could probably list a lot of things, but based on our earlier conversation. Well, anything I say, I'm going to get shot down. Like, the, because it, it's just not in my wheelhouse. For example, uh, video games, uh, you know, 
yet I have some pinball machines here at my house, you know, for, from, from my era. I, you know, video games have been around forever, but uh, I don't see the appeal of them. Uh, people wrap their lives, you know, in these games. Um, and I'm going to get beat up for that, you know, or if I was to say, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the current hip hop music, it's just because I don't understand it. And I'm sure there's some very fine video games out there, but uh, I just, uh, it never made it into, into my life. So I don't find the appeal in them. Okay, and I can identify, even though I'm, I'm a little bit younger than you. Uh, I, I stopped, when, when the subject of video games come up, I always say that I stopped with Pong, Atari, back in the day. Like I played I'm sure that. You, I'm sure there was a, in your early days of going to bars as a young man, if you did, there was a Ms. Pac-Man machine around. Yeah, you know, I never really, there were, but I never really got into the Pac-Man phase. There was a game called Breakout that I used to used to play in the arcades, but yeah, I never really got into it the way some people did. Well, um, like the guys, you know, in the, and some of my good friends that aren't, and are good friends that aren't quite ultra young, like Todd Sinclair, or uh, even Ian Riccoboni, Ian's 12, he's 35, I mean, it's not old, <clears throat> he's not a kid. Um, when when they go to the Ring of Honor uh, tapings, you know, and they have to uh, be in the ROH bubble, they, you know, Todd Sinclair could play video games uh, for 14 hours without, <laughs> you know, but like uh, Chuck Berry said, playing guitar like ringing a bell, right? Uh, like ringing a bell, um, whatever. So God bless him, but bless uh, him. not for me. All right, question number four. What scares you? Hmm. Eh. You know, I used to, I remember my dad used to be scared of, you know, really spooked about death, right? And it is a here the road now will go real heavy here. Really spooked about death. But in the end, you know, my parents both passed away many years ago. But anyway, um, in the end, it was getting sick. So when he got really sick, he wasn't scared of dying. He was just, you know, so like, I, I, I'm not, I'm not too, uh, it doesn't appear, what scares me is uh, being very, would be, you know, uh, some terrible illness. So uh, it's a serious question. I gave you a serious answer. Okay. I'm not scared of ghosts. But, uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Question number five. If you could have a conversation with any person, uh, past or present, could be alive or dead, uh, who would that be? And I know you've met a lot of interesting people in your lifetime, as we've talked about, but who is that one person you'd like to sit down and, and talk to? <clears throat> well, I mean, I, I, I got, I've heard you do, I've heard many of the other podcasts and people give more than one answer because it's hard to give one answer. Um, I would love to talk to Mickey Mantle, right? Just because he was like one of my childhood heroes. And um, same I could say with a guy like Freddie Blassie or, or 
in, in the music world, there's a lot of them that I would love to have had a conversation with. Like, you know, being able to sit, imagine being able to sit down with David Bowie. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Right. And uh, there's, there's so many. So I gave you three quick ones there. Mickey Mantle, Freddie Blassie, and David Bowie. Okay. Well, that is all, all, that's a lot of talent in all that's A lot of talent. What a, that's an eclectic bunch right there. Yeah. Sure. All right. Question number six. Carrie, do you have any hidden talents? Something you're good at that we don't know about? Remember, keep in mind, it's a family, it's a family show. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> eh. Well, we mentioned pinball, you know, and, I, and I'm knocking video games. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty good pinball player and it's hard to be, and, and we're not talking about the modern pinball games. You don't see them anywhere anymore. Right. You're talking about those, the classic pinball machines. I have some old pinball games. Uh, it took me many years to collect them. Um, they're, they're games that you would recognize from the seventies. Uh, you know, when, 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 if you went over like uh, some games, if you went over like, you know, a, a thousand points, it was, uh, it, you know, the score thing only went up to a thousand. Anyway, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a good pinball player. Okay. Uh, but it, it's got to be on the old school games. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, we talked earlier about what the final scene would be uh, in the movie about your life. And I didn't even realize, I forgot that I'm going to ask you this question in 10 questions, which is who would play you in that movie? What actor would play Carrie Silken? Well, there's a lot of errors. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I was thinking about it. Uh, who would play you in your glory days from the 70s? Oh, God. <laughs> um, well, People used to tell me when I had a little bit more hair that I used to, and, and he was popular at the time. And it's funny, it's another Saturday Night, Bill Murray. Okay, see that. So, um, but uh, I could see myself later in, in my, my current incarnation. You know, you always want to, I, I would like to think of like, you know, Robert De Niro. <laughs> Only the finest, like a Robert De Niro playing the modern, the modern day Carrie Silken. Oh man, I, I'm I'm gonna buy a ticket for that one for sure. <laughs> All right, question number eight. Uh, again, knowing that you're a big rock and roll, big music guy, do you remember the first concert that you attended? Hmm. Well, once again, you're gonna get double answers from me. I, I mean, my parents, my mom loved Broadway. And my father, as I mentioned, was a bartender. And he, he they, they, she liked good music. She liked jazz, classical. And I got, I got taken along to, uh, oh God, like, this was like Buddy Rich Band and and, and uh, just jazz oriented stuff. But um, the first real rock and roll show that I saw on my own accord 
And to this day, Kevin, and, you, and it, it actually was listed, not the particular show I went to, but the Guinness Book of Records had a thing for the loudest band. I went to the, uh, and we were there uh, at the old Felt Forum, which is now the Hulu Theater, when we did the Fan Fest. Right. Uh, and it was, who's the, it was, um, I'm going to throw out some old school names, but Rory Gallagher opening up for Deep Purple. Oh my God. And Deep Purple had just had that, um, it was live in Tokyo album, which had all those hits, um, Highway Star and uh, uh, My Woman from Tokyo and, and a bunch of them. It was so loud, so loud. But um, that, I was like 16, 15, 16, we would take the bus in. And then I started going to a lot of shows then you know, the Zeppelins and, and, and Tulls and Elton Johns. And we were fortunate to get to see so much good stuff. But that was my first one. I thought, is every show this loud? Jesus, holy <laughs> cow. All right, question number nine. What's your biggest pet peeve? Hmm. Oh, I know what it is. People don't answer the phone. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> They don't answer the phone. Um, they'll text you, and you'll call, and I'll call them, so you know the phone is in their hands or sitting near them, and they don't pick up. Right. They don't want to talk. They just want to text. Right. Sometimes I'll play a game. Let's say I'm in the car, and I'll say, "How many numbers can I call of people?" that um you know till i get someone to, to uh, answer the phone that's like even though you and i don't speak very often when we do speak we have good conversations and it's like i'm saying like oh like a few weeks ago i called you for your opinion on a, on a particular football game and uh because i knew you there was a good chance you would answer the phone right you know and it's guys our age, like usually on a daily basis, there's a few people I'll speak to, but they're all, they're all old guys like me, like I, like Luke Williams. <laughs> I told you, I've become friends uh, through Ring of Honor, even though he was only there briefly with Kevin Sullivan. And uh, I have some of my, you know, local friends, but uh, they're all older people. It's tough to get someone answer the phone these days. Well, I'll tell you this, Carrie. I'll, I'll, I'll full disclosure here. I will be a bit of a phone screener myself when I see the caller ID. But whenever I see your name pop up, I will always answer unless, and I think the last time you called, I was on another call at that time. So I had to call you back or text you back or whatever the case was. But yeah, when I see, when I see your name pop up, I always answer. Yes, you do. I don't understand what's wrong with these people. I mean, there's people I call and they don't call back. It's like, what if I'm lay? What if I'm uh, I'm in dire need of whatever? Right. All right. Question number ten. Being an old school wrestling guy like you are, I got. I'm fascinated to ask you this. You're Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling. Who are the four faces 
that you would put on there for pro wrestling? Oh, that's a that's a that's a good one. Um, well, hmm. I would. Well, you got to put for, for me. I have to put Bruno San Martino up there. Um. It's a, this is an eclectic question too because I you, you you can do this from the perspective of who my personal you know my childhood heroes and early heroes were or you could do that you could do it from who belongs up there because of their importance you know to the wrestling world so it's a difficult um if, if i was doing it out of my uh love of pro wrestling just just based on uh status I, you know be like bruno san martino uh andre the giant i, I i'm gonna throw Frey glassy on there because he just was you know it just people haven't seen enough of his work but boy talk about a heel and uh you almost have to throw someone like hulk hogan on there you know just because of what what he did for the business and uh that would be uh you know yet i would almost want to put a, a brian danielson on there to to because you know look what for ring of honor of, of what he did and and is still doing and uh carrying the name so good question I avoided the answer. I avoided the answer a little bit. I had a five spot there, uh, but that would be a, a nice Mount Rushmore. Well, two of the four, uh, Bruno and Hulk Hogan, would be on mine. Uh, I'd also put Luthez on there. Right. And then I'd put a guy that I know you're not the biggest fan of. It's all we right. Don't to, we don't have to get into it, uh, but I would have to put Ric Flair on there as well. Yeah, that would be my fault. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was looking at it. You understand how I was doing yeah, that. Yeah, and I, I left it open-ended too. It could be whatever you want it to be. Your personal favorites. And, or and I'm going to go back to your bucket number one question about yes. the list. It's a it's a, a bit of a swerve, but at this point in time, my I'm not, right now on my bucket list. It's it um is to come back to uh, some live shows. That's what's on my bucket list. Even though I've done that before, I know that's really not the answer. Oh, I want to go to uh, Uruguay and climb a mountain. No, I just want to I want to go to some live shows again. It, feel, it's, it feels, and it, you know, it, it feels so long. It does. That, you know, and that we've been living this way, but, um, it's 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 it is long it's 10 months already well i certainly hope uh from a selfish standpoint that that your bucket list item there comes true because that will benefit me and benefit a lot of people so uh yes that's to me you, you couldn't you couldn't come up with a better answer than that one is uh yeah that should be all of our answer for bucket list is let's get back out there and have some live wrestling that we can all attend and have a good time and get back to some sense of normalcy. 
Well, I really enjoyed doing this with you, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, this was awesome, as I knew it would be. Uh, before I let you go, uh, I know we've talked about the ills of social media and the sort of love-hate relationship, but do you have social media information that you want to give out, or you could you know, give out the website again for uh, where we can hear Last Stop Penn Station? I don't hate social media. I just, I just don't like people not talking to each yeah. other, like, like, you know, with human involvement. Um, uh, but yeah, um, I'm on, uh, Twitter at, uh, R O at R O H carry as same with Instagram and, uh, same with, uh, with Facebook, uh, is Carrie Silken. And then, then, uh, then with last stop Penn station, uh, our podcast, that I do with Ian Riccoboni, which is on, available on all podcast platforms. Um, and that, that's my uh, social media plug. All right, Carrie. Well, after this conversation, uh, please get out your calendar and mark down the last week of December, 2021. Yes. Uh, we're going to do another podcast and maybe, who knows, maybe we'll do one before then, but, but certainly we'll do one at the end of the year. Because uh, this was fascinating. I know we've only sort of scratched the surface of the stories that we can tell. Uh, this was uh, a lot of fun for me. I love talking about the old days of wrestling and, uh, and certainly the history of Ring of Honor and, uh, you know, the huge role that you played in it. And uh, like I said, just scratch the surface. We got plenty more we can talk about for sure. Anytime, my man. All right. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening and remind you that a new episode of the ROH Strong podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked on to ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying stay safe, everyone. And let's all be ROH strong.